There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. This, as the banner already has proclaimed, is Mr. Harvey Honeycutt. An expert on commerce and con jobs. A brash, bright, and larceny loaded wheeler and dealer who, when the good Lord passed out of conscience, must have gone for a beer and missed out. And these are a couple of other characters in our story. A little old man in a Model A car, but not just any old man and not just any Model A. There's something very special about the both of them. As a matter of fact, in just a few moments, they'll give Harvey Honeycutt something that he's never experienced before. Through the good offices of a little magic... They will unload on Mr. Honeycutt the absolute necessity to tell the truth. Exactly where they come from is conjectural. But as to where they're heading for this, we know. Because all of them and you are on the threshold of the Twilight Zone. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host Jimbo, and today joined once again by... ADZ in the fifth dimension for reluctantly... In the fifth dimension for this episode, and I'll go ahead Harry and tell you right off that. top, right off top, this is this is terrible. This is the Harry bottom. Harry told me that this was his favorite episode of the Twilight Zone that we've covered so far. Wrong, wrong. That's <laughs> that's very wrong. This is this this episode is different. Yeah, that's a kind way to describe it. It might be one of the worst episodes in television history, in my opinion. Wow, even even worse than when Fonzie jumped over sharks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like, that's a classic piece of television history compared to this one. Uh, so, while I'm reluctant, I'll go ahead and launch into this episode. Do you have something, Jimbo? About well, yeah, about? Let's, just, let's just not forget that the Twilight Zone did try to cut costs by doing videotaped episodes. Um, let's, let's remember that. But I, don't, I think even... A non-videotape this episode was not going to be good. But um, this obviously is a videotaped episode. It was uh, They had already broadcast five episodes for this season. And then they had filmed 16. So uh, the cost was coming in over budget at $65,000 per episode. That's why they were trying to cut cost. Um, I read that little trivia uh, right before we started. So I figured we'd throw it in here at the beginning. So... Uh, Eric, let's dive into the whole truth and nothing but the truth about season two, episode fourteen. All right, if you're gonna <laughs> don't look so happy. <laughs> if you're gonna force my hand, the whole truth. This is the Twilight Zone season number two. This is episode number fourteen, and it was directed by James Sheldon. And thankfully, James Sheldon. This wasn't his only direct directorial. I think it might have been his debut, but it, thankfully it wasn't his last one because he went on to direct some episodes, six, in fact, in total, and all of the other five were miles and miles better than this one. They include The Whole Truth, 
A Penny for Your Thoughts, which is coming up here very That's shortly. That's a good one. That's a good one. Long Distance Call, another good one. It's a Good Life with the same little boy character. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Both of those were great episodes in comparison to this one. Still Valley, which I haven't seen yet. And I Sing the Body Electric. So, James Sheldon, thank you for sticking to it and not quitting after this episode. <laughs> because, boy, you made some, some good ones after uh, after this one. So, Unfortunately... This was a clunker written by Rod Serling, and I think he would probably would agree. This was originally broadcast on January the 20th, 1961. And that brings me to a little segment in our podcast that we like to call... On This Day in History! Alright, so on January the 20th, 1999, as it pertains to TV history, this is a big one. The Sopranos, starring James Gandolfini as mobster Tony Soprano, debuts on HBO on January the 20th, 1999. I unfortunately didn't have anything by way of film history. There wasn't a whole lot going on on that particular date for whatever reason, so I only have the TV side. But that's a pretty big one if you are familiar or a fan of The Sopranos. That was a long-running, hour-long drama on hbo and it's it's pretty good you could probably do uh, there probably are many podcasts out on the sopranos if you want to dig into that particular television show i'm back to the twilight zone the total production costs which jimbo referenced this earlier which this one did not come in very if for a videotape episode this is stunning to me that the total production cost was forty five thousand five hundred eighty one dollars and eighty six cents which that's comparable to a regular episode and this thing was trash so when we adjust that (laughs) easy there adz we don't need you to go into cardiac arrest while we're on the air here buddy (laughs) he's already got red face and everything man adjusted for inflation four hundred fifty three thousand eight hundred fifty three dollars and fifty five cents for an eight hundred ninety five percent increase and jimbo Please take this cast away from me. Uh, it's, it's a little shorter than the last episode. Uh, so take her away. I don't know. You like this episode so much, I thought maybe you would do the cast today. I can. I have it in front of me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I got you. <laughs> so uh, the main uh, character is Jack Carson, who plays Harvey Honeycutt, which he did a good job for what he was dealt. You know what I mean? He was all right. Uh, but he was on Cat uh, or in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in 1958, where he played Gooper Pullet. Um, he was also in Arsenic and Old Lace, uh, where he played O'Hara, which uh, that's a great movie if you've never seen yeah, that. Yeah, you guys so. covered that already, right? Yes, we did. Uh, Loring Smith played Honest Luther Grimbley. Uh, he was in Shadow of the Thin Man in 1941. But he was also in Ma and Pa Kettle at Waikiki, where he played Rodney Kettle. So those of you of an older generation that knew Mom Pocketle, you can find him in that movie. Uh, George Chandler played the old man. Uh, He was in The High and the Mighty in 1954, but he was also in Every Which Way But Loose, where he was the clerk at the DMV. Uh, Jack Ging played the young man. Uh, He was in The High Plains Drifter in 1973, where he played Morgan Allen. Art Johnson, who played Irv, uh, he was in... uh, uh, you remember the great Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In uh, television comedy yeah, series, yeah, uh, 1967. That. But he was also in the TV miniseries in 1985, Alice in Wonderland, where he played the Dormouse. Uh, 
Uh, Patrick Westwood uh, was the premier's aide. Uh, he was in the crime of the century in 1956. Lee Sabinson played Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, we're not going to dive into any more of that till here in a little bit. Uh, Nan Peterson was the young woman. Uh, she was in The Hideous Sun Demon in 1958. And then we have, yes, the legendary Rod Serling, where he narr- reprises his role as the narrator and the self-host, and he is uncredited. So, Eric, that is your cast of The Whole Truth. Okay, just by way of, we're going to dig in a little bit by way of a little mini bio about Jack Carson. Um, it's a few interesting facts about him. Just... Um, he was actually in four Oscar Best Picture nominee that he was on films that were nominees for Oscars on four different times. The first one was called Stage Door in 1937. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in 1939, which did you guys good remember movie. that one yet? Not yet. Okay. It's a good movie, though. I couldn't remember. Mildred Pierce, never, that one's not familiar to me, in 1945. And then the aforementioned Cat on Hot Tin Roof in 1958. I've seen that movie with Paul Newman. That and Elizabeth Taylor, that's a great movie. And I don't know if we've covered that one either, but if we haven't, we should uh, at some point. Uh, unfortunately, he collapsed in 1962 while in rehearsal for the play Critics' Choice. An early diagnosis deemed it was a stomach disorder, but two months later, cancer was discovered while undergoing an unrelated operation. So he died rather young. Um, I think he was like in his late 50s. When he passed away, Jack Carson, and he primarily worked, and you can tell from this episode, he primarily worked in comedy. Uh, I don't know if he was an actual stand-up comedian. Um, yeah, it does say he did some uh, stand-up in 1937, I think, and he was a popular character actor. He was in a lot of comedies and musicals. I actually, on another podcast that I listened to, he was in a, a musical production, and he had a pretty good singing voice. Uh, as far as I could tell, for Jack Carson. Uh, but, you know, he's one of those old-timey uh, actors. I think he might have even been in vaudeville and some other things, and uh, he, he acted with guys like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. He was in a lot of uh, older things. So I'm not trying to besmirch his acting or anything like this. I just think the whole script and the whole idea behind this episode it just there wasn't a lot of cohesion and i think it just was a clunker but like you said earlier i thought he was pretty funny uh in in the initial you know he plays the role very well of a sketchy car salesman used car salesman but there's only so much that he could do with it it just kind of started out really strong and you kind of chuckle to yourself in the beginning because it's kind of funny. And then the whole shtick just like keeps going on and on and on. And it just goes downhill from there. But Jimbo, did you have an interjection there? Um, yeah, I came up with an acronym that pretty much describes this episode. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? So it's SSHBS. <laughs> okay. You scared the, me there for a minute. The script should have been scrapped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what that stands for. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but not to dig at an early grave, let, let's go ahead and let's unpack the plot a little bit and let's get this thing over with. But It has a good plot. It really does. Mm, it's just not executed. I don't know. I think it might be a little of both, but here's the plot. Harvey Honeycutt is a stereotypical used car salesman, a fast talker who, put it poli- to put it politely, is prone to stretching the truth about the car he, the cars he sells. He buys a used car from an old gentleman, paying him far less than it's worth. After the deal, the old man tells him the car is haunted. 
Soon, Harvey finds that he can only tell the truth, not only to customers, but even to his wife as well. When he tries to sell the man's car, he finds the perfect customer. And it really just reminds me of the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. There's That's what of, I was getting ready to say. Yeah. It's exactly the same premise. A, a lot of the same premise uh, points there. Um, but not nearly as well executed as Liar Liar. <laughs> yeah, not even close. Um, so, this the episode opens with... I used cars. I used car a lot, and Jimbo had mentioned this earlier off air that this was. It looks like it was. It's supposed to be set outside, but it looks like it's done on like a sound stage or something. It, it, you can. <laughs> it kind of. It's looks terrible. Like it, it, it looks like it's done on the inside, and of course, it doesn't help the fact that this is videotaped. And these junker cars, <laughs> they got signs on them like a real honey, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. There's like all these little signs uh, to, you know, to try to sell the car and, uh, and like new, that's another sign. So Honeycutt approaches this young couple and they're, they just want a reliable mode of transportation. And how many times have we been there where these sleazy car salesmen, they're pushy. They're always trying to ask you questions. They don't just let (laughs) you look. And I've had we call it, experience with this here lately. We call it sharks in the water because every time you pull into the lot, you don't even step out of your car. Here they come running out of the doors. But, you know, I, I, I had to laugh pretty hard because Eric is in the middle of looking for a car. And I just think it's funny that he keeps getting the runaround. Matter of fact, he was supposed to go like an hour away today to go look at a car uh, this morning. Woke up and he overslept. And so now while they're doing it, they keep calling him and calling him. Calling, hey, I thought you were coming today. Yeah, I thought exactly. You were coming. That's because you didn't go to Harvey Honeycutt's lot. I know, <laughs> right? <He would've laughs> Very relatable. This guy, he's he has an air of sleaze about him. And he basically, he doesn't basically, he lies to the people. He tells them, oh, the new cars, they just... They don't know how to make uh, cars. They just learned. Right. They just figured out how to make cars a few years ago. What you want is something old and something reliable, something with craftsmanship, something that was made, uh, you know, with care. You know, you don't want those new cars. All all they want to do with the new cars, they want profit. They 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 get their profit margins up. So that's why they want to push everybody into new cars. But but can I say something? He's not wrong in what he's saying. Okay, uh, older cars are more reliable. You know what I mean? Um, Sometimes. The new cars, they do they do only care about profit. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that, I know from the field of industry sure. that I'm in, uh, the, the, the markup on these things, as, as Eric can attest of what oh, he's looking it's at. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. These dealers can charge what they want to deal or want to charge Eric for a new car. Uh, he can tell you some of the stories. They're overpriced of what the the retail or not retail, what what it was supposed to sell for it's like ten thousand dollars higher than that so yeah. it's 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 crazy out there right now yeah they shrink the supply and then drive the demand up and then these dealerships can charge whatever they want and it's exorbitant amounts but yeah that really hasn't changed going all the way back from 1960 to, to now it seems like that hasn't really changed um so honeycut is trying to give the hard sell and this is like one of the well, one of the funniest parts, and I may be getting a little ahead in the episode, but the old man, um, he pulls up with this Model A. Um, he pulls up with a Model uh, Honest. No, that's not Honest Luther Grimley. He's just described as old man in the cast list. So the old man, 
comes up to Honeycutt, and this is the funny part. So Honeycutt completely 180s his strategy from the young couple that he's talking to. He's trying to promote the old, more reliable, well-built car. And then this old man brings the Model A to him. And then what does he do? He switches the strategy with the old man, and he says, oh, these... these these relics, these, this old Model A, I can barely give you fifteen dollars for it. You know, uh, I might yeah. the Smith the Smithsonian might give you like a dollar or two more than me, but these things are I can't sell these. <laughs> and he completely one eighties his uh, you know sales pitch to the old man as opposed to you know the young couple. He's trying and yeah, I just thought that was a kind of an interesting point. But, you know, he's walking around the car that he's trying to sell to the young couple and he, like, kicks the bumper and the bumper falls off and then he tries to, you know, tie it together with, uh, I don't know, wire, chicken wire or something to keep the bumper on. And, and yeah, it, I think the episode, again, it just kind of goes south really quick. Like, it starts out pretty well and then it just, I don't know, it's a lot of shtick for me. Um so he, the old man, they end up making a deal for the Model A, right? He goes into the office, and they sign the papers. And the old man basically tells him that it's a wonderful old car. They make him better in the old days, and, you know, he signs the paper. And then ultimately what happens is because he made this transaction... Then the old man tells him, well, it might be haunted, or he kind of infers it, or I can't remember exactly how he says it, that it might be haunted. And now Honeycutt has to tell the truth about everything, and this is when it really starts getting corny. You know, he has to tell the truth about everything, no matter what. And, um, yeah, I don't really know that there... He, he makes a call with his... Uh, I think one scene, he makes a call with his wife, and he's going out... <laughs> That's with funny, man. Uh, yeah, he said, he, he said, no, he says, hey, uh, sorry, honey, we got inventory tonight or whatever. And he's like, well, actually, when I said we were doing inventory, we were actually playing poker tonight with the boys. And she starts, rah, 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 rah. Yeah. and he's like, yeah. And, and last month when I told you there was an inventory meeting, I was playing poker with the boys there, too. Rah, rah. And he's yeah. like, I don't know what's come over me. Right. And then the same thing happens with one of the junior salesmen. Yeah, the salesman says, "Hey, what's up? I, you said if I sold three cars in three months that you would give me a raise." And he's like, "Oh, you were never going to get that raise." I I say that to all the young <laughs> salesmen just to keep them around long enough so I can, yep. you know, basically cheat them out of what I I was never had any intentions. And then the horrible fight scene. I'm getting ahead of myself, but they he punches him or something. Yeah, he punches him right and in the lays face. him out. Well, no, he says he says he says, "Well, this is this." Trust me, it hurt. It, it hurts me more than it hurts you. He's yeah. like, no, this is going to hurt you more than me, and he punches him right in the face. Right. And then, does he get uh, someone interested? Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, he has to tell the truth, and it's really hard for him as a used car salesman because that's what you do all day is you lie to people. So the <laughs> the young people they end up leaving the lot. They're like, come on, whatever her name was, the the young lady. Uh, Nan Peterson as the young woman and her boyfriend or husband. Uh, I think it's her husband. They're like, look, we just want a piece of reliable transportation. They end up getting frustrated and leave because Harvey Honeycutt tells him exactly what's wrong with like every car on his lot. He's like, this needs a new transmission motor. This thing won't get you five minutes down the road. And then he, he just goes through and he tells exactly what's wrong with every car on his lot. And then the young people become 
distressed, disenchanted, whatever, and they're like, "We're out of here. We're not. We're not going to do business with this guy anymore." And then I already talked about this this scene with his junior salesman, and then I think this is where he calls his wife. So we'll skip ahead. Didn't doesn't the uh, the is it a politician that comes in there? I think it's in a no. This is then we meet uh, honest whatever his name is. Honest Luther Grimley. And Luther Grimley is a politician. Right. And I think he wants to use... <laughs> he wants to use the car, like, in some kind of, I don't know, display, parade, or something. I can't remember exactly. So Harvey's, like, trying to really hard sell him the car. And Honest Luther Grimley's like, you're not going to scam a scammer, basically. This guy's in politics for... A, he, I don't know why he mentions that, like, several times. I'm in politics. I'm in politics. But Harvey tries to sell the car to him without any success. And then Jimbo, what what happens? I think this is... I think he's holding, like, a newspaper or something. And he's like, well, he says, well, there's one thing that you have to... That he said, there's one thing that you have to know... Whoever owns this car, because he's like, he's like, I'll give, you, I'll give you nothing more than thirty dollars. He's like, thirty? Why don't you just give me twenty five? You know what I mean? So he's telling the truth. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, I'll give you twenty two fifty. He's like, twenty two fifty. That's fine. And he's like, well, I will have to tell you though that one thing is that whoever owns this car will have to uh, tell the truth. Yeah, and that's when that... the Luther Grimley walks away pretty fast. You know what I mean? It's like in the line of work I'm in. It's like I can't have that. So not only are your car salesmen crooks, now your politicians are crooks too. Yeah, which they're. I've pretty much always been crooks as well, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, okay, that's that's where the scene changes, and that's where it's kind of clunky. I guess there was an actual story that explains how one Nikita Khrushchev enters this particular episode. They, they wove the story together a little bit better than the actual teleplay in the episode do. So in the episode, and by the way, let me back up. I think one of the the prerequisites for selling the car is you have to tell the person who's buying the car that it's haunted. I think I might have left that out. I think that was one important plot point that you had to disclose to the person buying it that it was haunted like the old man did to Harvey Honeycutt. Now he's trying to do to the politician and Yeah, but see that was kind of a that was kind of interesting too because the old guy he doesn't tell him it's haunted until after the paperwork signed, right? Right. Or does he tell him beforehand? I think so already like yeah, after he gives him the receipt and everything. But yeah, anyway, so the the politician is holding like a newspaper and then there's some article about Nikita Khrushchev in the newspaper and he says, "Boy, wouldn't it be something if this guy told the truth all the time?" And that's kind of how the scene ends, I think. I couldn't bear to watch this thing more than twice, I think. So, <laughs> so the scene dissolves, and then and then there's a, like a representative. Apparently, the, it becomes obvious that this representative works for Nikita Khrushchev. He's part of the Kremlin or whatever, and he's trying to negotiate a deal. And Nikita is like in the backseat of this limousine. Um, yeah. And so they work out a deal. He sells the car for, what'd you say, Jimbo, like 25 bucks? Is that what they settle on or something? I think so. And then, yeah, he says, you got a million bucks worth of propaganda here. They're going to use this as some sort of propaganda, uh, Russian propaganda, when they take the, I don't know, they take the car back. So Honeycutt's all excited that he's sold the car and... 
that's sort of yeah so this well but so he sells the car but then he's like he goes inside and he gets on the phone and he says hey uh you know washington dc put me on the phone to washington dc or whatever and he says hey uh can you let me talk to jack kennedy Uh, A little bit of trivia right here is John F. Kennedy was sworn in as the 35th president of the United States at the inaugural ceremonies held in Washington the afternoon of the day the episode originally aired. Jack Carson's final line was one of the rare times in a Twilight Zone episode where the name of a current president was used and mentioned during it on air. So I thought that was pretty interesting, too. Yeah. So I did a little bit of – I didn't do a big deep dive on Nikita Khrushchev because who would want to? But I, I just some uh, highlights that I found. He was part of the whole Cuban Missile Crisis uh, with uh, JFK and, 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 and Cuba and all that. Uh, so I think that's why the episode ties in the way it does at the end. Uh, but Nikita Khrushchev, he died on 9-11, uh, 1971 at the age of 77. He died of a heart attack around noon in the Kremlin Hospital. However, he was denied a state funeral with interment in the Kremlin Wall and was buried in Novodevichy Cemetery in Moscow. Authorities did not even announce the death till the hour of his wake and surrounded the cemetery with troops. There were uh, They were afraid of demonstrations um, being ran, you know, uh, or interrupting uh the uh ceremony uh but the pravada which i'm assuming is some sort of newspaper um it ran only one single line sentence announcing the former uh premier's uh death because they weren't a big fan of him so uh not only that but another little piece of trivia that i found in the t uh twilight zone radio drama adaptation khrushchev was actually replaced by an emir emir which is uh, basically from the Middle East, like one of the Saudi uh, Arab people mm-hmm. from the Middle East, high, high-ranking officials. So, Eric might have some more on Khrushchev. I'm not sure. Uh, I have a... Pull out that 11th grade history book there, yeah, Eric. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about a Khrushchev. A little bit of reference I might share with you, but uh, just by way of general trivia, the title refers to the oath given as a witness before a trial or deposition that he will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And sometime circa 1951 to 1954, Blanche Gaines attempted to pitch a teleplay scripted by Serling entitled The Gab. The story dealt with Davy Fletcher, a young guy who in his late 20s, a high-pressure boy with the gift of gab. Pappy Paulson, a used car lot operator, discovers the boy's talent and hires the lad to work for him. When the boy discovered that he is being used, he attempts to take matters into his own hands the idea for this script originated from two unused plot synopses, synopsis composed by Serling for the previously proposed Mr. Beavis television series. You remember that episode back in yeah. season one called Mr. Beavis? Well, apparently, I think from what we read back then, it was supposed to be like a spinoff television series that starred Burgess Meredith as Mr. Beavis, and they were going to write like a whole television series for that. And this was one of the episodes that was picked or plucked from that particular series. One proposed plot involved Mr. Beavis being blessed by a guardian angel with the ability to tell the truth for 24 hours. The other plot dealt with Mr. Beavis as a car salesman. Naturally, Serling blended the two together to form the whole truth. So that's how we got this 
episode that we are currently discussing. Uh, by way of Nikita Khrushchev, um, from what I just read in general history, apparently he, his predecessor, Joseph Stalin, he had a lot of controversial things to say about his predecessor, disagreements, and that might have resulted in the fact that he didn't get a state funeral. Like He lost did. a lot of uh, gravitas in the eyes of his fellow Russians, I guess, as he... I don't know if he looked like he was weak or for whatever reason, but it all kind of came to a head after, let me just read this part, after the Geneva Conference and the foreign ministers, Khrushchev began to speak of peaceful coexistence with President Eisenhower, who was ready to use the last atom of prestige. So I think he lost a lot of a lot in the eyes of his fellow Russians when he became more kinder, gentler, I guess, and he was more willing um, to negotiate with the United States, if you will. He didn't take such a hard line as far as the Cold War uh, was concerned. Um, so to ease tensions, the East-West tensions, um, President Eisenhower invited Khrushchev in July of 1959 to visit the United States that fall, followed by a later visit of Eisenhower to the Soviet Union. The Soviet premier arrived in the United States, toured the country, and agreed to hold a summit conference at Paris in the spring of 1960. As President Eisenhower and his advisors journeyed to Paris, an American reconnaissance plane and uh, called the U-2, and it was piloted by Francis Gary Powers, was shot down over the Russian territory. Khrushchev used this incident to cancel the summit meeting and angrily de denounced both President of the United States as spies and warmongers. So that's just one little snapshot of the Cold War and how things went back and forth, and I know that the Cuban Missile Crisis all tied into that as well, but strained relations, if you know anything historically, about the Soviet Union and the East Berlin and the building of the Berlin Wall, which happened around that time in the in the late fifth, mid to late fifties, and then of course was torn down in our lifetime in the in the early nineties. Um, I don't I don't read anything in history though that this guy was like a dummy or gullible. Speaking of Khrushchev, or but I think they just kind of <coughs> pardon me, they kind of used this idea that you know, he was a liar and that, you know, he was going to use this car that was sold to him by some little used car salesman as propaganda to take back to Russia and whatever. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Little history lesson on Nikita Khrushchev. Not that it really mattered all that much because this episode was terrible. So Eric, why don't you tell us the whole truth of how you feel about this episode? Uh, I think I've made that perfectly clear throughout this episode. I literally have nothing by way of questions and observations other than the fact that maybe the largest looming question on everybody's mind is what in the world does Nikita Khrushchev have to do with this episode? We kind of tried to explain it maybe a little bit. I don't know. Everybody can make their own decision. Yeah, I think I think it would have been funnier if they would have sold it to Richard Nixon or something. You know what I mean? At least it would have been funnier. You know what I mean? But I, yeah, this this episode's not very good. I mean, if we're ranking it on a one to ten, I'll probably give it a two, and that's just for Jack Carson when he calls his wife and tells her yeah. that he's going to be playing poker with the boys or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's not very good, and I, you know, I would like 
what I would really like to see if there was a list, if I could find a list of how Rod Serling ranked his episodes of all the Twilight Zones, I wonder where this one would fall. I wouldn't imagine it would uh, climb very high. Um, I think it's probably one of the worst ones we've seen so far. But, uh, you know. I can't imagine there's one worse. I just can't imagine. No. I'm sure we'll get to one, but even even the mighty Casey was better than this and 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 you know just the big tall wish come on you got to believe bully or whatever is that that <laughs> one was are better than this one um and i was pretty harsh on those yeah i mean rod was so prolific i mean as good as you are you're bound to have a clunker every now and again so we'll just kind of leave it at that we're going to give him a, a a mulligan is that what you're saying on this episode yeah i think he deserves it <laughs> But I don't know why you spent $40,000 on this episode no. either, or forty five fifty, whatever, you know what I mean? That's absurd. So if I was them, I would have brought every actor's car in there on that set, uh, you know what I mean? Maybe had one the clunker, you know what I mean? I would have brought all the car. I would have saved costs as much as I could on that stuff, but what am I? I'm not a director, so. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, this episode was pretty terrible. Next week's episode, Eric and I have difference of opinions on. Yeah. I do believe that will be the invasion episode where it only has pretty much one cast member. Um, yeah. But I think it is really well done. It's one of the highest rated episodes of the Twilight Zone, and Eric's not a big fan. I think it's pretty good. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, Eric, any final thoughts before we wrap this uh, whole truth up? No, I think that was a good teaser. I probably... I'm going against most of the conventional wisdom when it comes to the next episode, but stay tuned for the next episode entitled The Invaders. And it is my job to change his mind once again. So with that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Couldn't happen, you say? Far-fetched, way out, tilt of center? Possible, but... The next time you buy an automobile, if it happens to look as if it had just gone through the Battle of the Marne, and the seller is ready to throw into the bargain one of his arms, be particularly careful in explaining to the boss about your grandmother's funeral when you were actually at Chavez Ravine watching the Dodgers. It'll be a fact that you're the proud possessor of an instrument of truth, manufactured and distributed by an exclusive dealer in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>